another person didn't tip because the server, it was clear, like I went over, I was like, I'm so sorry, it's been 30 minutes, they're on their lunch hour, it is annoying, but I'm like clearly like, I'm hoofing it, right. And he, not only did they not tip, but then he wrote on the check, very poor service, no tip. I was like, thank you for explaining. <sighs> Why are we starting out on a side? <laughs> I, I don't know, I'm just tired. Anyway. Just tired. Tell that to someone with narcolepsy. <laughs> you know, it's not a competition, but it's it a little like bit a little bit of sometimes. a competition. I mean, you know, I'm competing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm winning. I'm st- <laughs> genetically. Uh, welcome to episode 19 of I'm Trying. I'm Jacob Derwin. And I'm Janelle Dennis. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you so much. So much. You have no idea how much we appreciate you. I can't, there's no quantifiable term. It's just this large mass of appreciation, of existential appreciation. Existential appreciation? I mean, mm-hmm. that's you. I appreciate everyone moderately no. in the physical realm that can be put into terms. No, Thank man. you, guys. No, like man. You My love for the listeners is, goes deeper than any physical thing. I don't believe that. <laughs> If you love our listeners so much... Why don't you marry them? No. Why don't you... (laughs) If you love her... That... Well, why don't you name their... Some of their albums. Their early albums. (laughs) There's definitely a band called The Listeners. There's absolutely a band called The Listeners. Um... Yeah, this is a really exciting episode. We have the wonderful Kate Tellers on. She is a longtime staff member at The Moth. Uh, she, you, if you've ever been to a Moth event in New York City, a Story Slam or a Grand Slam, you may have seen Kate be the MC or the host. She's uh, a great storyteller in her own right. And uh, it, it been in the acting world and the comedy world and the, even the cabaret world, as we learned in the episode. Yeah. Um, and now she, uh, she spends a lot of time helping other storytellers become better storytellers. And she teaches uh, storytelling. And she's delightful. And I'm so glad we got her on. Yeah, I want her to teach me about some storytelling. Yeah, you need some help? Um, yeah, some development, mm-hmm. I'd say. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's we touched upon this a little bit in the episode. But why I love stand-up so much is that a lot of my stories... They'll go into a tangent and pick upon the funny parts and then completely misdirect or whatever at the end. So it's kind of like the whole story formula, beginning, middle, end. Mm. I don't really um, abide by that, really. <laughs> so it would be nice to come up with a, a moral ending mm-hmm. to something. Well, we had a great... Well, that was a weird sound. We had a great conversation yeah. after, after we stopped recording. We were just chatting about, like, when, when is comedy the better thing? When is... Like storytelling, the better thing. When when should you be trying to get to the heart of something to change the moral? And when is it more effective to just be a joke? What what what's your goal? What what am I trying to do with my words? Yeah, she's a very insightful person. We talked a lot about uh, just trying to be a good person and how to use these things to be a good person. And um, it really comes off in, in in her what she does for a living and, mm-hmm. and and how she goes about her her every day. And I get that. I get the whole thing. I mean, I consider myself a pretty good storyteller, but like, I'm not as good as plenty of other people. I got a lot of work to do, too, you know? Yeah. The thing that I like with... Nothing. It was just an awkward pause for a sec. Oh, I thought there was someone behind me. Don't no. do that. I didn't I didn't look behind you. <laughs> you're like... A... I kind of just stretched my back a oh, little bit. <laughs> you look like you're waving to someone, the ghost in your My head. hands were down. What are you talking no, about? No, you went... You popped your head up. I and did. You're like, hey, you gave a head nod. That silence was Janelle being worried that I saw a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. 
Yeah, um, now I completely lost my train of thought. Moving on. <laughs> we both just walked back from the interview. We were probably a little fried from the sun. Yeah. Here's a hot one. Fried from the sun and fried about losing my sunglasses. I'm sorry, so, That's the thing. Losing something in Toronto, I have a lot more faith. Mm-hmm. I've lost my wallet there before, and two weeks later, it was mailed to my house. Wow. Yeah. And anytime I lose something, my mom's like, see, this was all your fault. And, you know, you're never going to find it. And then it'll, I always, not always, but more times than not, more times than what is statistically normal, I get it back. Mm-hmm. But in New York City, I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, and these were not just like $1 sunglasses like I wear. These are like Yeah, multiply that by a couple uh, hundreds. Oh, Janelle, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, they're prescription. I get it. I've been blowing money recently, too. Not, not because, like, I want to. Yeah. Just like, oh, you have to pay for these things to live or to help other people live. And yeah. you hope you get it back, but there's always the chance you won't. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, I've just... I'm just throwing money at people, aren't I? It's worse when it's your fault, though. Yeah, it like is. Like, if they were stolen from me, like, just off of my... You could be angry at someone. Per- yeah, I could be, mm-hmm. and I could be like, oh, what, this is the universe. This is the universe. But I know this, me losing these were completely yeah. my fault. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's annoying. I mean, I, And I, I do lose a lot of things all the time. It's been a running joke. Oh, yeah? Um, Are you forgetful? I'm not forgetful... In terms of facts, but in leaving things behind. Good at trivia, bad at remembering where I put my sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> or oh, just like I'll walk away from something and not realize that mm-hmm. it left it out. Like mm-hmm. even here, there's so many times it's been a running joke with you mm-hmm. and a former uh, person on the podcast, Wolf, that like I will just leave my whole entire purse. Yeah, you've just left like all your or belongings. Or just left a whole entire bag of yeah. stuff, keys, To be fair, like... Phone, I've always taken that as you just feel like you're at home at our apartment. Mm, I, did, I did it also mirror. at other bars. <laughs> well, maybe you feel at home at the bars too. I feel at home at the bar. We need to have yeah. a talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're basically a mirror. Sometimes here. you want to go where everybody knows your name. Or doesn't and yeah. doesn't return your things because yeah. they don't know your name. <laughs> I should start putting my name on stuff. Oh, yeah. I still, I still have a couple like pairs of clothing, articles of things that... My mom wrote my name on for like summer mm-hmm. camp that are still there. They still say Derwin on them. Yeah. On the back of the neck, you know, or the inside of the yeah, neck. Yeah, I should have put my name and address in the glasses case. Where in the? Oh, in the case. Yeah. The, there, the you case think they're in the case? To. Okay. I was gonna say like so that's just like hanging from a tag off one of the arms. Yeah. <laughs> Engrave it on the tiny oh little my gosh. Uh, side. Yeah. Side arm there. Make it even more expensive. Yeah, that's that's the thing that sucks because these glasses, even though they are expensive. Their non-expensive brand, the case, makes them seem like they're more expensive because mm. the case is like Michael Kors, Ooh, Ooh, Michael whatever. Kors. They're not Michael Kors sunglasses. The only reason they're expensive is because my prescription mm-hmm. uh, lot goes into the craftsmanship yeah. of someone with uh, an eye, one eye that has deteriorated a lot <laughs> over the past couple of years, and you have to overcompensate mm-hmm. to. Do you ever However, feel like your head is like lopsided because one lens is heavier than the other? No, because one lens isn't heavier. So to have a different... This isn't interesting, is it? I don't know. It's just all about the reflection. It's just all computers. They go boop, 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 and then they use whatever reflective. It's, all right. It's not the It's not like it heavier. It's yeah, just it's not different. like a, one of the bottle rings. Okay. I, I don't think... I didn't mean like a bottle, but I didn't mean like a Coke bottle thing. I just meant yeah. like... 
I don't. I've never had to wear glasses. Yeah. I have perfect. I've, I think I have better than perfect vision, actually. Probably. Very good. I vision. used to, and then started sitting in front of a computer every day for. I do that. I'm fine. Years and years. And years <laughs> and, but the double screen that'll get you. Oh, the double screen will get yeah. you. I, most of the people in my family, as I've gotten older, or some who are younger, like have had to get glasses or use them for some purpose. Yeah. I know. Also, my, I only needed glasses yeah. when I turned. I think 25 or something. Mm-hmm. Well, then I'm one year away. No, no, no. I, I definitely, like, I, I feel like my day's coming. Like, I, I'm... I'm <laughs> and the, you know, the funny thing is I look good in glasses. I remember, like, in high school... Everyone I'll, looks good in glasses. I mean, I agree. I'm into them. But, like, yeah. I remember in high school, like, my friend, my friends had, like, a fake pair. We were all wearing them around. It's like oh, a joke. And yeah. I put it on, and there was, like, a moment where I'm like, oh, I could pull this off. And then I'm like, I'm not going to be the guy who wears fake glasses. And I took them off. But um, mm-hmm. I know when that day comes, it's I going to... I wore fake to... glasses for like a couple months. Mm. Also, I, I felt like I was doing a postgrad program at that time. It made me look more studious. Mm-hmm. And then that was the year they ended up needing real glasses. So I'm like, wow. damn it. Whoops. Bad predictions. Anyways, yeah. uh, let's... Speaking oh. of losing things, you found oh. you found something. And oh, you want to talk about that? It. Let's yeah. do it. Uh, yeah, so I... It comes up in the podcast a little bit, uh, and I guess we'll talk about it now. So a few um, months ago, I was uh, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and I was waiting for someone to meet them for lunch. And I looked in, across the street, and on this like bench, on the divider of the two sides of the road, there was a cell phone uh, face down. And me being a... Uh, lawful good person. I ran out to the to the to the divider and I picked it up and the phone was unlocked. It was mm-hmm. on its camera. It was open, and so I could get into the information. I was like looking around. I was trying to find whose it was. So I went into the. Oh, con- you mean the phone didn't have a passcode? It wasn't locked. It was. I mean, it might have had one, but it wasn't locked. So I. So it was freshly lost. It was. I, I well ex- exactly. So mm. I realized like whoever's it is, they probably aren't that far. First of all. I started searching around the emails, contacts, finding any other numbers I could. I called every other number that was labeled like home or work. And they were all voicemails. Uh, I sent an email to herself, the person themselves. That's smart. And I noticed in the signature of the email, I mentioned a couple like theaters and like uh, and, like productions, like Broadway shows. I'm like, huh, okay. And uh, I real- I, then I find an email has a receipt for a Via ride. Via is a, a car ride sharing app kind of thing. And... Um, I look at it, and the address of the drop-off is literally where I'm standing, which means... And it was like... You were a few, full detective in here. Going yeah. Through. See, this is yeah. my number one nightmare. I don't like when people like go through anything mm-hmm. of mine or like touch anything of mine. Mm-hmm. So losing my phone and having someone go through it, even if mm-hmm. it's to help me out, I'm like, no, just delete it. Just throw it no, into my room. No, burn it. I'm trying to help. <laughs> uh, and so I, I wasn't like I was like snooping. I was just looking yeah, for their information. To, yeah. And uh, their contact. And so I realized, oh, they're like in the area and freshly in the area. And I, that's when I saw the text message. The last thing I saw was a text message. It was between the person and friend. Mm-hmm. And it mentioned that they were going to a diner, which is where I was meeting my person for lunch. Oh. And so it was like right there. It was literally Black Cat, Black Cat or whatever. No, right? not Black Cat. This was uh, it's just some diner in Lower East Side. I forget uh. where. And so I run across the street. And as I'm about to enter the diner, she walks out and says, Oh, I think you have my phone. I said, Oh my God. Okay, great. Wait, why did she say, I think you have my phone? Because I was holding it up. Getting ready to go into the diner and hold it up and go, whose phone is this? So oh, I, like, you hoisted I, the phone. I was holding already. the phone up and like before I even got through the door, she noticed I was holding it because she was walking out to look for it. Oh, and so if only this happened with my glasses. I'm <laughs> sorry, Janelle. <laughs> uh, point is, we met in the middle. She gave me a hug. We talked a little bit. 
Uh, we had like one person in common from one of the shows that she helped produce because it turned out she was a theater producer. Yeah. Um, and we talked for a little bit and she was incredibly grateful and very, very sweet. Uh, and then asked if I liked theater and said she was going to try and get me tickets to something in the future. So I gave her my info and it was very kind of her and I ended up going to see Pretty Woman. Um, Whoa, so she emailed you back and said, here's some tickets. Yeah, a little bit later. She's like, how do you feel about Pretty Woman? I said, sounds fun to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I took my friend Elena, and we, who was on the podcast. Yeah. And we went to uh, went to see Pretty Woman at, I think it was the end of May. And it was a great time Whoa. and all because of her. And um, it's funny because I actually, I called my parents right after it happened. Yeah. Because uh, I was on the phone with my sister. You texted me about it. You're like, oh, karma is real. I was like, telling I told you. everybody. I told me, I was on the phone with my sister when I saw the phone. I said, hey, kid, I'm going to call you back. Because I, I didn't want it to, like, I'm like, I'm like, I want to solve this. I want to figure this out. So I told her, my parents, my brother, you, anyone I got. I'm just like, I just had this like revelatory moment. Like, oh, I was a good person. And for once in my life, like, there was gratefulness and people, and there was a positive impact. And I was rewarded somehow. And mm-hmm. that's like, and it wasn't like an immediate reward. Like, it took a little while for like any kind of tickets yeah. or whatever. But like, and you weren't expecting it. I wasn't. Right? I was. I, I didn't know I was a theater producer. And even if the reward had just been like, thank you so much, this means the yeah, world. That would have been just, back. just knowing that somebody was grateful and happy about it would have been, would have, would have felt, would have felt like cocaine. Oh my God. I, mm-hmm. lo- I, I live off that. But the fact that there was like a physical aspect too, there was like, a, here's this thing you can do now. It just mm-hmm. felt. I don't know. I thought it made all. I made a lot of the times where you do you go out of your way to do the right thing and like you get like punished for it. It kind of made those yeah. feel a little bit worth it. <laughs> no, no, kindness never goes unpunished. It's you know you, you go out of your way to help people, and a lot of times it ends up just blowing up in your face. So the fact that for once, kindness, yeah, oh, yeah, I've had a lot of experiences where I go out of my way and to try and help people out who need it, and then it sets you back. It sets me back pretty far. Yeah, mm. um, uh, be it financially or emotionally, uh, and so mm. like being able to do something that was beneficial to both people and that we both feel really good about, um, and that there was some sort of like that's it just it was a good moment. I'm not saying every time you do something good, you should expect to be rewarded. I had no expectation of being mm. rewarded, but the fact that it was something so specific and lovely, and that she was so kind, mm-hmm. um, it, it was just a good moment, and so. Um, yeah, and the reason we're talking about this it is was because a good moment. Was the a- reason we're talking about this is because I just created a story. Did you see what I did there? I, I lifted back in, and now we have the nice bow on it. We have the ending. We have the moral ending. <laughs> I wanted to test myself and see if I could trick us into, into creating a nice little into story. Jacob telling a story. Did. Yes. <laughs> okay, then. I'm a story director, not yeah. a teller. That's my calling. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Kate's podcast is called I'm Still Here, which is kind of like a sister title to ours. Oh. Uh, I'm still here. It's her, her and a woman named Mary. They're both creatives, uh, writers, um, performers, and they both have kids. And this, the podcast is kind of about, it's about being creative after having children, having that whole era, that whole world of responsibility while also still pursuing your personal uh, passions creatively. Uh, and they are delightful, and I highly recommend it. I'm still here. You can listen to it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I think those are main, their main two mediums. And you can find out more about the show on imstillherepodcast.com. Kate Tellers and Mary Adkins show. It's very, very good. Kate is... 
she is just great. I'm so glad she did this. I found her after a mall story slam, like ran up to her with a piece of paper. I wrote the name of the show on, which is like, can you email us if you're interested? And she totally did. And she was like, you can do this if you want. You don't have to. I, I was nervous. I, I love her. I love all those moth uh, hosts. I love Ophira and her. And mm-hmm. um, they're good. They're, they're, they're great performers and storytellers. And they work in a world that I really appreciate. So I'm really glad they got that she, uh, she came to do this. Yeah. She was a great cat. Oh, um, well, first of all, my biggest thing, I'm sure you guys hear this all the time about failure, is like failure is the new F word. You know, we're not supposed to say fail because everything's a learning experience. Learning. Of course. And then, of course, yeah, the L word. And then, of course, as like a storyteller, we're always supposed to, you know, you're always supposed to like reflect and say like, how did that change me? Um, But that being said, it's totally unrelated. So I was thinking about... (laughs) I guess that's because, so I don't think of things in terms of failure. I think of them in, in terms of like, was it an emotion, you know, whatever. But I have, I have exquisitely failed in many ways. And so one way that I have failed is I have, and probably would if I went back to it, I'm a terrible waitress. And it's like one of those things where it's like the classic day job. I'm, I have been an actor, like since I went to school, I studied theater and I graduated from school and I had a job with a theater company and I had downtime and I was just like, ugh you know, like actors wait tables. I can wait tables. Like I eat like, you know, and, um, I got this job at this restaurant called, I'm from Pittsburgh called Froggy's, which is if anyone's from Pittsburgh, it's this used to be, it's gone now, this iconic Pittsburgh restaurant. It's like downtown. It's where people have, it's not like a steakhouse, like business lunch, but it's where like people, white collar people like go and have like a good, you know, steak sandwich or something for lunch. And Froggy was the owner and he was named Froggy because his voice was like a frog because he smoked so much. This is back when you can smoke in restaurants. So he would sit at like the round table. It was Froggy and his like henchmen and you had to know what eat and they would just drink like for all day. Whenever I worked, they were there and Froggy would give you um, give me when I had to wait on the table, which was, I was terrified of $4 to walk across the restaurant and buy him marble reds. And then I would come back and I got to keep the 75 cents change. I went to, <laughs> this was, you know, 1902 guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. Um, and I thought I was like, that's so decadent. And whereas now I'm like, it's a total power play that he is not going to stand up and get something for himself in his restaurant. Oh. I digress. There was one guy who used to have, um, have, he would get Amst- you had to know everyone's order. He would get Amstel Light with ice in it because I think he was trying to, he wanted to drink more, but he was trying to pace himself. So you'd have to ice his beer down, like cubes yeah. of ice. Right, totally gross. <laughs> and then Froggy would drink um, Maker's Mark on the rocks all the time. And then the legend was that he would go on a, like, and be on oxygen at night to like offset this. Anyway, I would do these business. So they threw me onto the floor. I had no qualifications. I'd never waited tables before. And I also really didn't go out to eat as a when I was younger. And I didn't really eat meat. I've always been like on and off vegetarian. So I like did not know how to work in a place that served meat. And I was a total nightmare. And then there's the lunch rush. And the lunch rushes get like totally insane. And if you get, if you've ever waited tables, if you get in the weeds, one table goes, the other table goes, and then like everything falls apart. So, um, like one lunch, the worst lunch rush was the one where this was my failure. I um, poured accidentally ranch dressing down the back of a guy's suit jacket, oh and my he God. was like, and he was like being gracious, and I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I had no money whatsoever. I was like, I'll pay for your dry cleaning bill, and the sent me his dry cleaning bill, like. Yeah, I'll take that $10 for it. Waitress who's clearly at wit's end, whatever. Another person, oh, no. same thing, didn't 
tip because the serve it was clearly like I went over I was like I'm so sorry it's been 30 minutes they're on their lunch hour it is annoying but I'm like clearly like I'm hoofing it right and he not only did they not tip but then he wrote on the check very poor service no tip I was like thank you for explaining what (laughs) what you didn't understand what's going on here in case you were unclear as to why I left no extra money on this bill it is because you were a terrible waitress um and then, but the worst thing, other, the other thing in restaurants, if anyone's worked in restaurants, is like the chefs are notoriously volatile. And our Ken was, the, everyone called him the angry chef. Like he was always furious. But Ken, and this is the only thing that saved me waiting tables, I'm very likable as a waitress. So generally people like me. So Ken did like me. So one time someone ordered pork chops and I did not understand that there was a difference between pork and lamb chops. So I just heard chops. So I had the kitchen make lamb chops and then I brought it over to the people and they were like, this is not a pork chop. I was like, it's a chop. (laughs) They were like, that is a different animal. And then I had to take this like huge cut of meat back to the kitchen to angry Ken. Anyway, um, those were my terrible failures as a server. But then it escalated when I came to New York City and I got hired, should not have been hired at this like very nice Sicilian place on... um, Cornelia Street. I don't know why I'm keeping it anonymous. If you know Cornelia, it's like the it's the Sicilian place on Cornelia. And I had no business working there, but that was like finer dining. And I didn't even understand that, for example, the appetizer comes before the salad. So people were out to like a fancy really? yes. I didn't know that. See? Mm-hmm. You don't think about it. Antipasti, then salati, then yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. So yeah, so people were, were out, they're dropping like two hundred dollars on dinner, and I was like bringing the wrong shit out in the wrong order but I always got a good tip because of my hustle Mm. and then and I was very likable and I developed trips tricks like uh, I would only recommend one red wine and one white wine for anything so if you were like what's a good and you were having fish like what's a good wine for this I'd be like oh the um, Orvieto is so good and they for like anything and then there was a primitivo for the red and I like that was my thing and if you just speak with authority like does anyone if you order one do you really know what you're like no one knows Um, and I had a couple come in once like they were like you waited on us last year and you recommended the best wine do you remember what it was and I was like ah I remember you it was the primitivo (laughs) they were like oh my god you know losing their mind anyway and then at the same time, I started right at that time, I dated, I'd always dated fellow creative people, so we never had any money, we never went out to dinner, and I started dating a lawyer, and he started taking me to really nice dinners. <laughs> and like, so when I wasn't waiting tables, I'd literally be like, oh, so that's how you do the specials, and I'd like take notes, and I became, then I would like do my, you know, I'd like Clark Kennett, and like go back to my life as a server, and be like, I see, I see, this is how, <laughs> this is what this is. Yeah, but people would order, like someone ordered, the first time they ordered a cavassier from me, I had only ever heard it from the ladies' man on Saturday Night Live, cavassier. And I was like, what's he saying? And I was like, oh, it's actually cavassier, not cavassier. Mm-hmm. Like, because, or someone once ordered a tawny port, and I didn't know, like, do you know what a, like, port is, a, is like an after-dinner drink. Okay. Tawny is a description. But this person oh. literally was like, a tawny port. And I went to the bar, I was like, someone wants a tawny port. A tiny poor, like we like sat at the bar and tried to figure out what the it was code, that they the ordered, yeah. right? Like, what is where do the words stop and start in this phrase? But then I just learned. But so if I went you back to it, seem like you know. 
oh, you have to. It's all like, and I am very good at looking like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm friendly and I'm try. Like you, you never, you, you would never not see me like hustling. So I, oh, I got the best tips always, wherever I worked with the exception of like the terrible lunch. Like I would generally pull very good tips, yeah. even though I was terrible. <laughs> I'm imagining like a montage, like a wax on, wax off. Yeah. Like you going to all these restaurants and being like, take me to the lunch Yes. <laughs> I, I was an intern at New York One a few summers ago, and we interviewed Eric Repair, who's a very famous uh, French chef who is the head chef of Le Bernardin, which is yeah. like a three Michelin star restaurant, one of the top rated restaurants in the world. And after we interviewed him, they asked if we wanted to stay for lunch. And so I ate at Le Bernardin for lunch. And luckily, the lunch menu for uh, for uh, plebs is easier than maybe the more extensive one. It's like pick one of these, pick one of these. We're gonna give you bread and dessert. Enjoy. Um, but even with that, like just the descriptions of these things, you're just like, I think I recognize the jus from Food Network. I, is it a sauce? A soup? <laughs> is it a broth? I'm not sure. It was the best meal of my life, and they gave it to us for free. It was insane. But uh, completely fish out. I'm wearing like cargo shorts. Yeah. I'm like hucking around like a, like a, like tripods and stuff, and suddenly I'm eating like seared black bass and veal cheek. I'm like, what am I? What just happened? You feel <laughs> like when I worked my first job in New York City, I worked in an acting studio and um, I was one of the two front desk people and then there was an office manager and the office manager quit and our boss this was so smart instead of hiring a new office manager he just made the two of us take over the job but he was like but you guys get to go to a Broadway show and dinner on me which like maybe cost him 500 bucks but he just absorbed a salary that he didn't have to pay anymore and we were like you're so generous because we're so (laughs) down so we saw Gypsy on Broadway with Bernadette Peters, I'll never forget. And then we were like, where do we go to dinner? I, we never went to dinner. And we went to Sushi Samba because of Sex in the City. So we went in the we were like, that's a fancy restaurant. Uh-huh. Samantha uh-huh. went there. And we, <laughs> we ordered, um, and we like didn't know what to order. Like we didn't know how to order sushi. So we ordered the um, appetizer tower because we were like, that's fancy. It's a tower of food. Oh my God. And then we didn't know how to eat some of the food. I did, like I didn't know how to eat a soft shell crab, which is a soft shell crab you, you just eat the whole thing, yeah. yeah, you eat it like a potato chip. Yeah. So oh, I didn't know that. I legit yeah. was at dinner calling my friend from New England being like, "Hey, listen, I'm, a, I'm at sushi samba. I know. Like how do you Yeah. I know Yes. You know crabs, right? You know about crabs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have them. Yeah. 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 No, it's a special kind. Yeah. yeah. Well, but awesome. it is like you feel like everyone's staring at you mm-hmm. in those scenarios. And like maybe they were. And who cares? Like who cares if they're like, those people don't eat here a lot. Like are you a lesser person because you don't go to Sushi Samba all of the time? No, but we were so self-conscious. I mean, yeah. My, I have a buddy named uh, James who's Korean and... He speaks like four or five languages. He's, he's brilliant. And he's taken me out to Korean barbecue a couple times mm. around New York. And he'll walk up, like there'll be a line out the door and he'll walk up to the front staff at like the desk, say something, we're seated immediately. Yeah, oh my gosh. And I'll just let him do the ordering for me. And I'm just like, it's those moments you look around like, I, for once, am the minority. This is interesting. I, <laughs> I'm just gonna go with it because the food's good, and hopefully uh, no one uh, does anything to it because white guy, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, it's 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 very fish out of water, but you know, usually those are good experiences. Like, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, for your taste buds and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. It's, it was a it was a strange transition in my life because I was like, you know, like 
falling in love with this dude who's like woo you know this was the way he wooed me was take me to these dinners there's and a I pretty was like, woman almost totally there, there were there are many parallels to pretty women <laughs> in I this scenario um did you how did. was it it was great i got to go for free great it's a the theme of this fancy life <laughs> sneaking into I, fancy I life found, i found a woman's phone on the street and got it back to her and she happened to be a theater producer <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, so I had two tickets to see Pretty Woman. It was it was a lot of fun. It was it was it was it was, it was like if a pop song was a musical. You're just like I'm just gonna write this. this yeah, is yeah. fun. This is good. I imagine it'd be fun. <laughs> Recommended. But um, what are the parallels to Pretty Woman? <laughs> so you're, you're being wooed around the city. You're oh, being... I think the parallels was like there was definitely a um, a class thing. Class is the wrong. Janelle, what? We don't need to talk about uh, this. Why it was silent? Okay. The palace was no. It's our professional podcast here. And on a whiteboard behind you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Good um, Well, the parallels are pretty women. Um, that he was like a business dude, and I was a kooky girl, and he was like, like. I think he, the, the biggest parallel, and I think they try to fight this narrative in Pretty Woman, is that like he wanted to rescue me, you know? And I think I was at a time in my life I was very vulnerable. My mother was sick, ultimately died while we were together. And like it worked so well when it was like this man with this luxury apartment that could woo me and take me away and do all of this stuff. And then like when it came down to it, I was like, we're two completely different people. Like you're a litigator and I'm an actress like that, that like does comedy in basements. Like this is not we don't pursue the same things and have like the same matching set of values and it sort of fell apart. But there was like the beautiful, there was a beautiful love story at the beginning of it and like beautiful stuff throughout and then less beautiful stuff and yeah. the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not to harp on it, that's one of your probably most well-known stories from The Moth, right? It's, it's the cheese is in the title, I can't. Oh, but also bring cheese, yes. Yeah. It was the story that made me go to The Moth. It actually was the story that, not the story, but... I was doing comedy, I was acting, I was doing more and more comedy, and then my mother was dying and ultimately passed away, and I had this, like, simultaneous, like, I was really obsessed with coming from a family where we told stories over and over again. It became, I became acutely aware of it as, you know, my mother died and we were gathering over and over again of the way we, like, almost tell stories like prayer, like, we repeat stories. But also, I was just like, I want to do something that I like can give my whole heart to. And I, the kind of comedy that I was doing and that I was around was a lot of the like sort of observational like distance, you know, like I was like, I'm in a basement kind of making fun of things instead of bringing my whole heart to something. And it was like, I'm in a basement and then I'm like temping at an ad agency and waiting table, you know, I'm like doing all of these things. So I like went on this quest, went to the moth, sat in the show and I was like, great, we can make people laugh, we can make people feel and cry and, whatever, um, and then became obsessed with the moth and then ultimately worked there and ended up telling my story there. Now I think comedy's different and I think there's more of a spectrum of experience that you can have. It just wasn't the comedy that I was doing or around at the time. How did you find out about the moth? I uh, was temping at this ad agency and I, I don't even think I realized how much I was like scrambling for a new community or like new voices or something. So I would just listen to podcasts and there was, this was pre-moth podcast, but a moth story was on This American Life. Oh. And then afterwards they said, you know, they have shows in New York City and I went on the website and went to a show. And you told me that you were like the first person to put together the moth radio hour, right? Or the, or the podcast. podcast. So they had yeah. this idea to do a podcast wow. and it was yeah. right around, it was not my, it was not my idea. <laughs> I just want to tell you how not involved I was in the beginning, except for that I have this like, this award or this distinction, but sure. they decided to do a podcast because they'd been recording stories 
Um, so it had been around for 10 years at the time. They'd been recording almost all of the shows. And then they were like, we should do, everyone says we should do a podcast. We should do a podcast. And right then I'd gone to a show and literally called and been like, I will do anything to work with you. And they were like, great, you you can edit the podcast in GarageBand. Like no one knew what they were doing. Podcasts weren't really, the, they were not the thing that they are now. And so I would go in as the free intern and edit the, po- I was like, an old intern, like, and edit the podcast for a couple hours a week. And then very quickly, we were number one on iTunes. Number one was like, go podcast team. And I was like, I had literally nothing to do with it. <laughs> and now it's like, it's crazy because, you know, podcasts are different. The Moth podcast yeah. is so different. But back then, how it started. Well, I'm glad band. that we both had the same entry to The Moth as a free intern. Yes. That's good. Yeah. I, when did you intern? I was, in, I was 19. I, was so I didn't old. know you interned there. Yeah, five, probably five years. Yeah, it must have been five years ago now. I, uh, I needed something to do that summer that wasn't be a camp counselor. Mm-hmm. And um, some friend's mom knew someone who worked in the New York office in Soho, and they already had their interns, but they said that I could come hang out. And they were in the process of like organizing the office, I think. I, I ended up just like, I was like tall person, yeah. boy, who was just like putting away boxes and organizing things in Salesforce. And yeah. I just did that for free like two or three times a week for an entire summer. And mm-hmm. I helped out at a few slams. There was a... There was the, uh, the the Greenwood Cemetery show. There was like a live. There was a. Oh, was that the first Greenwood? It must have been the first I Greenwood show. The first if we were one. in Soho, yeah. It was. Uh, it was Edgar Oliver opened it up. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Yeah, in um, the cemetery, it was so cool. It yeah. was, and I just was just kind of like floating around trying to figure out what to do. I helped with like the the, the the merch table, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and I and I did I did two or two or three story slams as a nineteen year old. One was good. One was absolutely offensive and should never be heard. Uh, and the third one happened years later, and that's the one I almost won the story slam on. <laughs> so I told a survivor story, and I came in second because one of the teams did not like the story and gave it like a seven, and the other two were like 9.4. I'm oh, like, wow. Ah. Uh, so cool, so close. It's okay. But uh, yeah, no, so that was my whole thing with them all. That I still go sometimes, obviously. It's like yeah. tracked you down at one of them. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, uh, I'm glad. Okay, we have that in common. Yeah. yeah. I see, that goes to show the power of just being around. Yeah. The power yeah. of just hanging and just being that person where they're like, hey, you. Yeah. You're can here. you help with this? Yeah. You're like, sure, why not? And it. then just by being around, you're absorbing, you're learning, mm-hmm. you're taking the waiter's um, yep. tips. <laughs> learning and then when you're this in out it. comes out, you know. Yep. Absolutely. What was the, what was, I mean, you said, so you were just doing comedy in basements for, like, what, what was the, what was the routine like before you ended up uh, at the mall? Um, so I was doing. Besides being wined and dined by fancy lawyer types. It was just one lawyer that wanted to die. That that was not my demo at all. (laughs) (laughs) At all. Um, So I was most. So I started as like an actor, like doing the the like classic act, you know, sixteen bars or monologue, whatever. Um, And then I started doing improv, and I was on um, a musical improv team for a long time. This was like this is like a different conversation about women in comedy that we had, but we build ourselves as New York's own all women musical improv team, which I think we were at the time. It just was like, I don't know. It was a different conversation. Anyway, so I did that for a long time. I did stand up for a little bit and then I started writing my own stuff. So I wrote a cabaret. I would write like, then I would, you know, I was getting more into like easing kind of organically into storytelling, but still kind of in comedy spaces. Um, And then wrote a sketch show, you know, just kind of playing around. And back then I felt like sort of confined by comedy. I think because of what I was just talking about, but I was like, it didn't like the way my brain worked. It didn't, 
I didn't like the amount of jokes per time that was necessary. I think I was just more drawn, I think, than to storytelling. Now I love it. Like, I find such freedom in it. I think, you know, whatever you're away from, the grass is always greener. So now I'm like, I love the freedom of just being able to, like, take one thing and riff on it and not have to have it, like, resolved at the end, you know? Um, Not that you can't do great comedic storytelling. I mean, I like the way the two worlds play together. I like the way that they separate. But um, it didn't ever... I never got in a real groove with it outside of my group. You know, I was always kind of like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And still doing like more traditional theater stuff at the same time too. Where were you playing? Where was your cabaret? So I did my cabaret at Danny's Skylight Room. It closed. And also at Mo Pitkin's also closed. I'm not saying it's me, but everywhere I did it, (laughs) closed. Um, And then we, uh, when I was, so this was like, 2002 or something when I started doing comedy so that was back when there was UCB was like the only game in town and then the pit had opened up but there was that was back when there was bad blood I don't know if people remember this but um no I never knew that god I don't I'm like I want to say things to make sure I don't get anyone in trouble but basically (laughs) you were at that time not supposed to do so we would but we would book the show I mean we were like we'll do the stages so we would like go to UCB do a show and be like hey guys we'll see you at the bar and then like sneak and then run and that was when UCB was on 20 what was UCB on forever 26th and the pit was on 27th and like 7th this was old pit and so we would like be running through the night over to the pit and sneak in and be like where were you nowhere like like, where's that um, trench coat for right (laughs) what was that and then the magnet opened and then and I don't know if like the three were at odds. I wasn't like that and you know, sort of like willful ignorance. But like we would do all three theaters, but you'd sort of like be like, no, I'm just going to take a walk with four of people that I perform with in Chelsea. Don't mind. You know? Anyways. Yeah. It's a brisk walk. Yeah. Really Being a brisk walk while I vocalize. No reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So you were playing all sides. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. We tell everyone who's on the show sure. what their what their comfort place is something that makes them feel good after things maybe go wrong or maybe you've been waitressing for just too long. Yeah. It's been a rough day. You spill ranch dressing down someone's suit coat and they charge you for it. <laughs> what What do you do? What, what What makes you happy? What 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 something you can consistently go back to? Well, I would say like consistently since I've been in New York City, which has been since two thousand two, I go to Rockaway Beach. I've been and it's like it's taken me through every stage of my life. Like when I was in my early days, like single, you know, lady in the city, I would go by myself and I'd put like, yeah, I would go by myself with a book and then like my apartment keys in my wallet. This is maybe I had a, I think I had a cell phone and I would like put it like next to the water because I was by myself and like hope the tide didn't come in because I, and I'd like swim and swim and swim and then grab it and pull it out because I was by myself and Rockaway Beach was just like not, it was not obvious pre-Sandy, way before Sandy. It was just not where, you didn't find like a lot of single gals hanging out there. It was like a lot of families that are more local to there. Um, And then like when my husband and I started dating, we would go with our friends. And then now that we have kids, we go, we leave at eight in the morning and go there. It's like my favorite. It's my happiest place. I love it. And my kids love it. Yeah. Yeah. Are they also bringing books and hoping they don't get washed away? Are they just more of them? Oh, no one reads anymore. No, it's (laughs) like the fact that I have gotten to read at all in the past four years of my life is a freaking miracle but no at the beach I can you know it's just like chasing one person and like trying to keep people out of the water and whatever but in, and you know we're there at like 9 30 in the morning the it is the best because we do essentially the reverse commute like as we're as we're in now Rockaway so popular as we're going back 
we're seeing, we're like pointing out to our kids, like, look at all those people. And you see like all the hipsters in their like short shorts and their like hangovers. And we're like, ha, ah, our day's over. <laughs> <laughs> time to go nap for the rest yes, of the week. Snap time. <laughs> yeah. Well played, well played. I don't think I've actually ever been there. Now that Me I think about it's it. the best. I'm from Long Island. Like I've gone to Long Island beaches forever, but never Rockaway. I've never owned a car ever in my entire life yeah. and maybe never like you Pittsburgh too? nope never did grew up in Pittsburgh went to school in Pittsburgh never owned a car I was I grew up in um this like very like my husband will say I went to Sweet Valley High it was like this upper middle class <laughs> suburb that you know like we were kind of the outsiders and one of the ways that we were outsiders is that my parents divorced so we had like two single parent homes so they each only had one car and so the car was never available and all of my friends had these like married parents that had like extra cars so like it never made they always had a car it was like take the take the beamer like take whatever and i'd be like my dad won't give me the nissan sentra (laughs) so i never did and then i went to college and i didn't and then i moved to cities and just I've just gotten used to it also we're really into like um public transportation in my family so yeah yeah man yeah save the world no we're trying <laughs> where what, can I ask what school, in, what school in Pittsburgh high school oh, oh it was a college it was, it was Carnegie was, Mellon oh, it was I went to Carnegie Mellon yeah okay, cool there you go I was just in the area uh and uh what, what suburb if I can ask Mount Lebanon I know the area there you go Our, I mean I, I don't think it's I don't think it's that close. Our our friend, my roommate, was from White Oak. Is that it? Keystone. K. Keystone Oaks. It's white something. White cedar. White oak. White. Ah, uh, well, this part isn't going on the podcast. Anyways, unless we start a new podcast, it's like does Jacob know no, what you're talking about? Does Jacob know where his friends are from? Uh, <laughs> well, here's the thing with Pittsburgh: is that people are always like, "Oh, my friends from Pittsburgh," and then they'll name a place that's like two. Oops they'll name a place that's like two hours outside yeah. of town and I'll be like, that's not fucking Pittsburgh. You're right. Yeah. No, you're totally, I, I get it. I went to school in like Northeast Ohio and yeah. therefore everyone's from Cleveland yeah. or Dayton or Toledo right. or Akron. I'm like, you're not from any of those places. Yeah. You're right. from some tiny little place off Mansfield. Yeah, I'm only just learning about those places now because I'm Canadian. Mm-hmm. And from your roommate being from Pittsburgh and at work needing to find people from the area yeah so they're like oh slippery rock um oh yeah these little towns near iron mountain so yeah it's really interesting all these little towns that are these huge hubs and is there is it true that there's a baseball team or something there where there's the the pierogies and the pierogies have a race Okay, first of all, (laughs) there is not a baseball team. It's the Pittsburgh Pirates, which have at time, (laughs) not in our lifetime. No, it should in my lifetime. They they were great. Um, No, they've not won a World Series, but they've come very close to getting to the World Series. (laughs) Which is pretty great. The Pirates are... So I love... Pittsburghers are obsessed with Pittsburgh, um, generally. most Many of us are. Um, and one of the things that Pittsburghers tend to love is their sports. Now, we have the Steelers, which are, like I would say, yeah. objectively speaking, an excellent sports team. Feelings on the NFL aside. Um, <laughs> but the Pirates are a baseball team. And even though they're like generally terrible and like the common consensus is like it's just like setting yourself up for heartbreak every season because they're like they always like almost get there and then like fall apart um but going to and i'm not a fan i'm a fan of sports fans not sports but going to a pirates (laughs) game in pittsburgh is such a yinzer is what pittsburgh is called such a yinzer experience because it's right on the water we have three rivers it's right on the one of the rivers yinzers 
Yinzers, because we say yens. Yens is our y'all. Like, yens guys going downtown. The Pittsburgh accent is very <laughs> thick. Sounds like an emo band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, yinzers? Yeah. <laughs> or even just the way you're speaking, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really thick accent. But the entire experience is Pittsburghers are so obsessed with all the Pittsburgh things that they have like a mullet cam because a lot of people have mullets in Pittsburgh. Um, and then they'll do a pierogi race because pierogi, we have a lot of Eastern European people in Pittsburgh. So pierogies are like a classic Pittsburgh food. And so they have like adults dress up like pierogies and run around the stadium. And they, you know, it's like you can get all of the like the classic beers and the Heinz ketchup and all of the stuff like happens in that space as you're in this beautiful stadium, you know, with the sun around you and the like glistening river behind you. It's just an amazing thing to do if you're in Pittsburgh. I think like, if you asked me like what my dream is in my life, pierogi race. No, close. <laughs> That's my dream. Close. My dream is to sing the national anthem at a Pirates game. Ooh, that's doable. That's a good, I think it's like, I, it could happen. That's a good dream. I mean, I just have to like try. I mean, like I'm not even, I'm not saying like every year I try. Like I've never actually even looked into how to do it. Um, but I should. You right. should. Yeah. Yeah. Contact whoever is in charge of that, and so you know, you know, make him believe that you're the most famous person from Pittsburgh and New York, and right. you, know, you got it. It's me, Franco Harris, yeah. Joe Maganello. <laughs> Joe Maganello. Yeah. Joe Maganello went to my high school and college. Oh yeah. We were in uh, the same production. The production, if you ever hear Joe Maganello talk about, that made him become an actor, was yeah. this high school production of Oklahoma where he played Judd. Uh-huh. I was Armina in that production. <sighs> Whoa. No one knows who Armina is. She has one line. She's one of Lori's friends. Counts. Uh, that's Counts. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. It means the world. All right. Listen to Kate's podcast, I'm Still Here, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow her on Instagram at Catadoodle. Catadoodle. It's Catadoodle. Okay. It took me a while to see it, but I'm pretty sure it's Catadoodle. I'm just going to spell it out. Sure. Uh, it's C A. Nope. Is K A T A D U D L E. Yep. And if you see K at Moth Story Slam, say hi for us, please. And also, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps word about the show spread like a, I was going to say rumor, but let's just say like a good deed. Aww. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to easily download new episodes. I'm Trying is hosted, edited, produced, and scored by Janelle Dennis and me, Jacob Derwin. Our cover art was created by the fabulous Sammy Kappa. See more of her work at SammyKappa.com. That's S-A-M-I-C-A-P-P-A dot com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at I'm Trying Show. And if you want, you can follow us individually at Janelle Dennis and Jacob Derwin. If you've screwed up or embarrassed yourself and are looking for help. Or pity. Reach out to us on Twitter or email at I'm Trying Show at gmail.com. And our team of crisis experts us. will be more than happy to assist you. Well, reasonably happy. Thank you so much for listening. And in the words of Billy Joel, bottle, bottle of red, red bottle, bottle of white. white. It It all all depends depends upon upon your your appetite. appetite. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because you didn't say the upon, you just said on. Oh, yeah, I don't know the song. song. (laughs) It all depends on your appetite.